Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi everyone, how are you? I am Nina Clark, your host of Nina's Got Good News, and we are rolling. We are so excited that we're back and you're back. First up, I just want to say that I'm so grateful for all of you. Nina's Got Good News is now one year in. We're so excited about that. And thank you all for your support over the past year. This is a movement to share good news, and we are growing every single week with a new episode on iTunes and Spotify, and now also on Stitcher. How cool is that? Today on podcast number 49, we're going to be talking about the return to work for moms and a fascinating idea with a fascinating guest. The fascinating idea is called the fifth trimester. Hmm, sounds interesting, doesn't it? Joining me now from New York is a speaker, a consultant, best-selling author, Lauren Smith Brody. She is a disruptor. She is a change maker. She is revolutionizing workplace culture, and I'm so excited that she's here now to share all of her wisdom with all of us. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I want to walk around with a t-shirt saying all of those amazing words you just said about me. I know, right? Change maker. Hello. That's what you are. Well, tell us all about yourself, Lauren. I feel like I know so much about you now, but but tell everyone about Lauren Smith Brody. What's your background? Sure. So I live in New York City. I have two little boys. Uh, My background is that I moved here after college to go into magazine publishing, which is an industry that has, speaking of disruption, changed quite a bit um, in the time that I was in it. I had my two sons while um, uh, working at Glamour Magazine in an executive level role on the editorial side and really, really struggled coming back to work, especially after my first son, um, in spite of working with a staff that was largely female, um, where we talked very openly about bodies and about our personal lives and needs. It was still really a struggle. And yet I found on the other side of those first few months of transition back to work that I had actually kind of cracked open this whole new definition of success for myself. And when I saw that by being a little bit more open and more raw about what was so hard about motherhood in the workplace than I had even seen anybody around me be before, that it actually, I had, I had colleagues come to me, you know, who were, who were not quite in the stage of life of having kids yet who would say, you've actually shown me now that I can do it too, that it looks really hard and yet you're still doing it. And that was really, it it was really a Eureka moment for me. And I realized that I was going to be getting more out of my career in this moment than I had thought of before. It wasn't a weakness. It was actually a strength to be a mother. So eventually fast forward a second child, a few more years, and I decided to look specifically at what that transition back to work looked like for women in other fields and women who perhaps did not have even as much support as I did. And I did a survey um, that was national and that reached single moms, adoptive moms, moms who worked hourly wage working jobs, moms who were CEOs or running their own companies, really as broad a spectrum as I could come up with. And I sat down for three days and I just did the like algebra on all of the, the math of these, of these statistics that came out of my survey and realized that I really had the skeleton for a whole book. So I left uh, my job at Glamour. I decided to throw myself into this. And I had, I had for years thought of this term, the fifth trimester, 
because I learned of the fourth trimester when I had my first son, which is the idea that human babies are born a whole trimester earlier than, than other animals are because of the size of the pelvis and the size of the skull. And so to recreate, to soothe a newborn baby, you recreate the feeling of the womb. And so that was the idea of the fourth trimester. It totally worked on my, my son. Um, well, not totally. He's still cranky sometimes. <laughs> He's now 11, 11 years old. But anyway, I, um, I latched on to this idea that, you know, by the time he got to 12 weeks old, he really would wake up to the world and be this baby that I thought I was giving birth to initially. And, and that was all true. Unfortunately, 12 weeks was when I was going back to work. And so it felt quite ironic, but it also helped me kind of uncover that there is this whole other trimester, particularly in America where women um, do not have any access to any federal access to paid leave and, or neither do dads. And, um, and that we need the support to get through that transition in order to be able to stay in our careers, in order to be able to make good on the, um, on the investments that we've already made in our education and in our careers to that point, and in order to be the kinds of mothers that we want to be. So all of my research from that point on really focused on this fifth trimester idea wrote the book. The book is now out there in the world doing its job, helping hopefully as many moms as it possibly can. And since then, I've turned it into a consulting business and speaking business. I now go into companies and I help them make the case and see how effective it is to support new moms um, if you want to retain women for the long term and to see really the value of retaining women and the small investment in this transition back. That is a very long answer to your question. Oh, no, I (laughs) love it. it No, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. So I love that you take this idea, this whole fifth trimester idea. And what was the reaction to the book, Lauren, the fifth trimester? First, I'm sure everyone thought the title was so cool. They were, that probably got a lot of attention. But what was the reaction overall to the book? It was really that, that word validation is really the first thing that comes to mind. Because, you know, I think so often we don't think that something we're going through is real until there's a name for it. You know, even with like, and I did have postpartum anxiety, but you know, when I had my son, my first son, that was a term that people didn't really use yet. Well, now they use postpartum anxiety, there's postpartum OCD, there's, you know, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name for these, um, the, um, uh, the sort of flashbulb thoughts of, you know, scary things that can happen for your newborn baby. Those all have names now. And when you give something a name, people suddenly feel like, oh, this isn't so isolating. This isn't just this weird way that I feel about the expectations I have of myself that I'm not meeting. No, it's given context of like a larger cultural problem. And also the definition of something, you know, a trimester is simply a season. It is something that has a beginning, a middle and an end, and you will get to the other side of it. So the reaction that I, you know, there was, you know, there was a lot of press and I've gotten to do all kinds of cool things. I never, I really didn't do so much, you know, TV and speaking in my old, my old career, because I was always the button chair editor, kind of like just digging into the words of the magazine. This is now my, my entire existence is speaking and being on TV and doing these things. And so that was really, really cool and new, but that is not nearly as satisfying as just the messages I'll get on Instagram from people who say to me, oh, thank God, there's a word for it. I, I feel so reassured to know that I can, you know, I can stay in my job and that I now know how to negotiate for these things that I need and not just that I'm negotiating for myself. But when I asked for this flexibility, well, they changed the policy for everybody. And so it made me feel like I wasn't asking for an exception, but I was asking our whole company to actually get better. Oh, and good for you. Look at, look at what you're doing, Lauren. It's amazing. You're helping so many women. I'm, I'm just sort of annoyed that you weren't around when I was making this decision because if I had you in my corner, 
things might have turned out differently, but it's all good. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad you're that- helping all these all the moms now. I just wish there were a Lauren Smith Brody back in our day. Oh, but uh, no, I'm just so, I'm so I want to say thank you to for, for on behalf of all women that you're that you've done oh, this, thanks. that you put it out there, and that I feel like sometimes you're put on this earth to help people, and maybe this is oh. you found your calling, right? I think that's what <laughs> that is the nicest thing. That is well, the you, nice you found thing your calling. So when I say well, that, and also. I have yeah. to say, like, I am also now, I now, I did leave the traditional workforce and I, I do work for myself. I, both so I don't, yep. I don't yep. want to be a hypocrite about that either. And I do think there is a lot of room for a lot of women in particular who are making a transition out of, you know, corporate America because they're not getting what they need from inside. However, right. you know, the whole genesis of this book is because for most women who are in dual income families, like, you know, that on ramping of starting your own business, you have to have resources to do it. And, you know, this fantasy that a lot of women have of like, I'll just leave and do my passion project. Well, you got to make sure your passion project, you know, allows you to be able to buy health insurance. Right. Exactly. And so I, you know, I, that is not lost on me. The irony of, you know, helping women stay in the workforce and make change from within when I have actually left it myself. But right. yep. I hope that at least my mission helps make up for that. It does. It definitely does. It definitely does. So when I say that you're a change maker and a disruptor, explain to everyone sort of how are you playing a role now in trying to build a better workplace for women? Sure. I mean, it's funny, like, so along with, you know, there being a term now that people actually use, they've, I've, the people have started to think of me as that, that lady, that expert. And I also feel more emboldened to raise my hand and represent the needs of new moms than I ever certainly did when I was a new mom myself. I now know it's not just about me. It's really about everybody. So for instance, I was at a, um, oh, it's a friend who has a podcast. Um, that is about books. And she was interviewing um, Kirsten Gillibrand, who of course is running for president. And um, it was related to her book, but she did a Q&A after. She was recording a podcast during this live event in her living room. And um, you know, I was lucky enough to be invited. And I sat front, I tend to sit front row now. I never used to sit front row before. I love sitting front row now. Now that I like give talks that people come to and I'm like, come on, you guys sit in the front row. I now always sit front row. So anyway, I sat front row. And I also never used to be the kind of person to raise my hand. I mean, I would, you know, like it was, it was the constant comment. My kids just got their report cards. So when I, when I used to get report cards, it was, if only she would participate more. We feel like she has something to say. Well, it took me some time, but I'm there. Um, So anyway, so I'm at, I'm at my friend Zibby's apartment. She has this podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And she is interviewing um, Kirsten Gillibrand and she opens it up to Q&A. And Kirsten has been a proponent for years of um, something called the Family Act, which would be, you know, it's one of the proposed plans, the Democratic proposed plan for um, paid family leave um, in the United States. And it, it supposes that we all pay a tiny bit in, essentially it's a payroll tax, a very small amount of money, but everybody pays into it and then everybody gets access. And it's, I think it's a good plan. The only thing I don't love about it is that it's, it's 12 weeks and this notion of 12 weeks, which I mentioned earlier with the whole fourth trimester, is really kind of like it's not based in any research. It's really just because when FMLA, which is the unpaid 12 weeks of leave that um, it's actually only just over half of Americans even have access to, but there it is. Um, when it was first proposed, it was meant to be 26 weeks of paid leave. And it took nine years for everybody on both sides of the aisle to agree that we could indeed have some family leave, even if it wasn't paid at all. And it became unpaid and it became 12 weeks. And pretty quickly, 
this notion of 12 weeks as being the time that, you know, moms need to bond with their babies or moms need to recover from childbirth became the acceptable norm. And it's, it's not based in any kind of science. It was always meant to be a compromise. It was just like, let's just get this done. It's 1993 already. Let's, you know, Bill Clinton signed it, you know, signed it into law. Um, but it has been very normalized. So this, back to, back to my friend's living room. So I asked, um, Senator Gildebrand, I said, you know, thank you so much for the work that you've done and for being here today. I just want to ask you, you know, all of the, the plans that the Democrats have proposed and the plan that the Republicans have proposed, which is called the Cradle Act, are, you know, both 12-week plans. What can we do to not normalize this notion of 12 weeks? And I was so impressed in the moment because at first she did what I would have done, which was to say, like, basically, like, uh, you know, so I think we all just want to be really pretty glad if we get any paid leave at all and be okay with that and then tackle, tackle the length of it next. And then she stopped herself and in the moment stopped herself and said, actually, I'm going to do better than that. No, you deserve a real answer. And you're right. Nobody's ever asked me that before. And I was like, I'm apologizing. I'm like, I'm sorry to be rude. I'm like, you're doing so much, but to ask you the rude question of like, this isn't really enough, you know? And she said, nobody's asked it before, so I'm stumbling for a minute. But yeah, actually. And then she gave two concrete suggestions for what actually could help these plans evolve to be longer, um, to cover more time. One is you either pay in at a higher rate, or two, when you look at the states that have rolled out um, paid family leave state by state, you essentially get the governors of those states into an arms race to see, you know, who can who can not only you know, let his or her citizens have the federal plan, but also make their own state leave on top of that um, and let that become the new norm. And, you know, generally where New York and California goes, eventually the rest of the country goes. And you can collect data on the efficacy of those plans. And I was like, you know what, bravo, those aren't perfect answers, but you did it in the moment. So this is all to get back to your original question. I can't believe that I got to ask a presidential candidate that kind of question get a real answer in the moment. And then like a couple days later, Working Mother Magazine picked it up. And, you know, like I had posted about it on Instagram and they picked up my Instagram post and actually brought the two plans that she had proposed into a national dialogue that suddenly became real. That was just, of all the moments I've had since having that first Eureka light bulb moment of like, wow, working motherhood is hard. That was that was amazing. Yes. And you're the one that no one else probably has the confidence and the knowledge like you do on this topic to actually get up there and have the guts to ask that question. That was, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm so excited that you you. did that. That's so cool. I I didn't even know that story. I must've missed that Instagram post because that's so cool. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's so great. Good for you. Well, so tell us what pain is the picture now because I've been out of the workplace for a long time. So yeah. give us the, what, what's the current culture right now of working motherhood? Give us the picture. Oh, it is, it is so um, polarized because, so there are a lot of companies that are totally hot head, headline making tech firms and big law and financial firms and places that know that if they really want to recruit the best talent and keep these women, they have to like, they have to engage on this stuff. And so they'll do things like they will, as every company should, they will sign up for a service called Milk Stork, which is this amazing service that delivers, um, that lets, lets working, traveling moms um, send their um, pumped breast milk home on dry ice via FedEx. Um, it's an amazing service. It was started by a working mom, of course. Of course. And so they'll have, 
which not to belittle it all because it's amazing, but so they will, they will say like, we are a company that has things like milk stork and we give you a, you know, a stipend for childcare, which is amazing, all of these things. But those kinds of companies are not typically accessible to most American moms, right? Like they are for the most part at the very, very, you know, 0.1, you know, percent kinds of jobs that are, that are, that most women can have. And when you look at who doesn't have access, even to like FMLA, um, just because of all the stipulations of the size of the company and the, um, the distance you have to be from the company and you have to have been at your job for a full year in order to qualify to even get this unpaid leave. Um, when you look at who has the kinds of jobs that don't even have that, the majority of those people are women. And when you look at people who are like in, you know, domestic care work, who are, you know, nannies in the home or who are home health care aides, those jobs are largely held by women. And so, the, and those women don't have access really to many benefits at all. Um, so there's this huge disparity in what people have access to. And then, you know, and I'm, I'm a member of media, so I'm as guilty as anybody. But when you look at who gets the headlines and who gets attention, it is the ones who are doing the awesome bells and whistles packages of, you know, increasing their paid parental leave to six months for everybody in a gender blind way. Yes, that's awesome. Do it, do it, do it and shout it from the rooftop. But let us not normalize that and think that that's what most people have. They really don't. The average American woman takes 8.5 weeks. The average American man takes between one and two weeks. It's not even properly able to be measured because it is so loosey goosey. Um, and we know that 25% of American women take two weeks or less of leave after having a baby. Mm. Okay. Well, so since we like to share good news on this podcast, yes, Lauren, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> let's, let's give a little good news. Let's talk through what's your best advice. So say there is a new mom that has to go back to work. Give her some good news that she might need to sort Absolutely. of get back in there so and do it. it some of it's really practical. Some of it is just sort of giving yourself the grace of a closet that works for you. That sounds superficial, except that actually the research I did on personal appearance, like sort of put me in my place and showed me that actually it did need to be in the book because like it really does impact how you feel about yourself and what you project to the world. So for instance, um, in your closet, if you are going back to work and you don't fit into the clothes you were wearing before, or you you know, haven't bought new clothes in more than a year because it's been that long since you first got pregnant, Look at what you've got. Make yourself a little miniature closet within your closet of just the things that fit you now, that fit you now and that are appropriate for your work. That may be five pieces of clothing, but if you look at those five pieces of clothing and not a single one of them is a pair of pants, well, you need to go buy yourself a pair of pants. doesn't need to be the pair of pants you're going to keep for the rest of your life and invest in, like no investment pieces in this moment, except maybe for accessories because they can make you feel good no matter how your body's feeling. Um, but you know, just make that little closet and then in the morning, just shop from that one little section and don't even worry about the rest of it and don't let it start your day out, you know, in any way that doesn't feel good. So that's one really practical tip, um, in terms of feeling good and the good news about going back to work. Well, in spite of all of the data that we have about the motherhood penalty, for instance, which is the impact, the negative financial and, and, um, status impact that motherhood has on women when they come back to work. In spite of all of that, there is actually a whole other bank of data that shows the ways that motherhood improves your work. So some of it is from my own research. Some of it is from other more scientific research. But basically, a lot of women like to say that they feel like they're more efficient when they come back to work. Um, 
because they assume, you know, the day, their day has more of a hard stop. They have to go pick up from daycare. They have to get home to a babysitter. They want to spend some time, you know, with their children. And so their day is more efficient. Well, the reason it's more efficient is actually because we, being home with a baby teaches you, as if the baby's a little drill sergeant, how to compress the time that you need between tasks so that actually you pivot more quickly. Um, this is what I've seen in interview after interview, and I coach a lot of women too um, in corporations, and this, this is why their days are more efficient. It's because they, they're not getting any, anything less done in that amount of time. They're actually getting just as much done, if not more, um, but, they're, but they're compressing it, and they don't need pivot time. So that's one thing. Um, one other um, way that they improve is a lot of women like to say, well, now that I'm a mom, I'm better at saying no to things. And a hundred percent. That is true. I remember that being my experience too. Because if you're doing the, you know, mental sort of compromise math is what I call it on what it takes to say yes or no to something like if you get, if you say a yes, if you get to yes, if you decide, yes, I'm going to go out, you know, for a drink, for a networking drink with that person tonight, or yes, I'm going to ask to go on that, you know, big business trip, um, even though they might think I might not want to, I'm going to ask to anyway. If you get to yes in that decision, you have decided already what you're going to, you know, steal time away from because we all only have 24 hours in a day and some of those hours need to be spent sleeping. Um, and if you've gotten to yes, that's a very real yes. So what I say to women is don't just say that you're better at saying no, like you're not just sloughing things off. You're actually better at giving more defined and um, and more real yeses. So let's own that too. I love how you just and, sort of make them turn that around. Let's turn that yeah, around a little. Yeah. True. And there and there is there actually is there are scientific studies that show that women are more efficient that they are better leaders that you know we know that female doctors are better diagnosticians and we know that female lawyers win more of their cases in court and you got to assume a lot of those women are mothers. And a lot of them are, are mothers who have gotten through this transition and are now really at the peak of their careers, you know, even years later. Hey there, let's take a quick break for a quick word from our sponsor. I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Type A Deodorant. Type A Deodorant is my go-to aluminum-free deodorant. You guys all know how passionate I am about using clean and safe products in my house. My husband Jeff and I both swear by type A deodorant. We love it because it actually works, even through an intense workout. It has sweat-activated technology for lasting protection. It's non-toxic, which I love. It won't stain your clothes, for real. It's cruelty-free and comes in four gender-inclusive scents. That's great for my husband. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll get 20% off your entire order at typeadeodorant.com using the code GOODNEWS20. Again, typeadeodorant.com with code GOODNEWS20. And that's some very good news right there. Now back to the show and my interview with Lauren Smith Brody. Now you, you brought up the motherhood penalty and I want to talk about that a little bit more, but it sounds a little scary, right? No one wants to be put yeah. in, like, in like a penalty box, right? And that's, that's yeah, how I yeah. thought of it when I first learned about it from you. But so how can we avoid that? How do we avoid the motherhood penalty? Absolutely. Well, some of it is, is just knowing that it exists and sort of arming yourself, you know, with the notion that you are actually worth, your work is worth real money and that your time is very valuable and that people can have really, really good intentions around you and write you off of 
work that you might actually want to take on. So some of it is in terms of the status impact, you can really impact that by simply saying to people like, please don't count me out on anything. There may be things I don't, you know, I can't do or, or don't want to do right now, but please always ask me and let me be the one to decide if I want to do these things. Um, and just expressing that to people, because like I said, really people do have good intentions for the most part. Financially, so financially it gets a little bit more brass tacks. So you should know that women's income decreases um, between four and 5%, this is a conservative number, per child for every child she has, and that men's income increases for every child that they have. Um, that's called the daddy bonus as opposed to the motherhood penalty. So when you negotiate for raises, which you should, don't assume that if you've taken a maternity leave, you don't deserve a raise this year. That is part of your compensation with being able to take and your benefits with being able to take the maternity leave. But don't leave money on the table. Even if you were paid for maternity leave, if there is, you know, bonus that you're missing out on, if you were on leave during, you're in a commissioned-based job and you were on leave during like holiday sales season, really, really work with your employer to account for that disparity. Um, you may not always get everything you want, but more likely than not, they weren't even really aware. Like they probably thought that they were, they were doing well just to give you leave. So um, make sure that you account for any lost income. Another thing that makes a really big difference is when dad takes paternity leave. And I say dad because the, the actual study is gendered like that, but I mean, I think the same would be true for partners as well. So there's a study that shows that for every month of paternity leave that dad takes, mom's income increases by 7%, lifetime wow. income. Wow. And that is not just because she spent those 30 days at the office, you know, or the, her workplace, you know, making money. It's because when dad is home on a family leave, he also learns how to do all the things. And so, and you learn to trust him to do all the things. And so when you're both back at work and we're, you know, working like maniacs and you get home at the end of the day, you aren't the only person who's entering into a second shift. You both are, and you can split up the work much more equitably. That's so interesting. Now, one of the things, Lauren, that you're doing now is you're going around to different companies, corporations, and talking about this, this whole, this huge issue surrounding the, the fifth trimester. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious, when you're going into these companies, how, what are you saying to them? Because I feel like they need, they need more, more moms in there. So are you yeah. trying to convince them? Or are you just, what are the things, what are well, like your top things that you're, what are the points you're trying to get across yeah. to them so that they listen to you so, and mean, they I hear you? When I started doing this work, I really, I, I'm an optimistic person and I believe that everybody, uh, most people are good people. And so I used to go in saying like, this is the right thing to do if you want to retain people. And no, I learned pretty quickly to put dollars and numbers to it because that is what gets people's attention in a way that is blind to the fact that it's a uterus, right? That we're talking about. First of all, everybody has something in his or her life for which for which he or she needs some flexibility at some point, whether it is a new baby or not. But I teach these companies to really see, first of all, the um, that sort of blind spot of the um, the income that is lost during parental leave that may not just be straight salary. Um, so there's that, and also to really check some of their own. Um, some of their own biases about the relationships in the workplace between those who do and don't have children. There's that. I talked to them very practically about the need for backup daycare, which is um, a benefit that a lot of companies offer and a lot of companies do not. And if you want to do one thing to help new parents, actually two things, if you want to do one thing to help new parents, have backup daycare. 
have it available so that, you know, it does not become this do or die decision at 7 a.m. when the daycare is flooded that somebody has to decide not to work that day because inevitably, not inevitably, a lot of the time it is going to be the woman because she is historically underpaid because of the wage gap. And there's just so many ways that the workplace perpetuates that wage gap. So if you provide backup daycare, you will have a way for both parents to get to work and not, you know, kind of fall into that trap. Um, there are all kinds of things that come. And there is, you know, milk store is amazing. There are all kinds of bells and whistles, but people really need, they need paid family leave to the six month point, because that's the time that is shown to be most protective of mom's mental health, mom's physical health, baby's physical health. And barring that, because I really don't think it should have to be on private corporations in America to provide this. I think we will get there at some point with federal law, but in the meantime, it's, it is expensive at first to try to, it pays off very, very quickly, but it, it's a hard thing to convince people to spend money to give you know six months of paid leave when the standard sort of normalized number is 12 weeks of unpaid. Um, in the meantime, then, you have to do everything you can to really um, soften the return for that fifth trimester, for that gap between when mom is back and when she gets to that six-month point. So do everything she needs, um, you know, around um, providing breast milk for her baby if she wants to pump. That is not just having a beautifully decorated, you know, lactation suite that is a 10-minute walk and 10-minute elevator ride away. It is actually making it a space that's accessible quickly, three times a day, that it's functional, that um, she's allowed to feel comfortable saying, I need to leave this meeting to go pump. It can be on the schedule that other people can see. Um, and that she's able to work during that time is also so key. You know, if she can go into a, you know, a mother's room and pump breast milk while also getting through a ton of emails, and then announce it and say, hey, you know, like I just responded to everything you've been waiting for from me. Then she's doing three jobs at once. She is feeding her baby. She is doing her work. And she is destigmatizing motherhood in the workplace. So anything you can do to let um, mothers feel comfortable being more open about their motherhood and their needs and showing that they're getting their job done anyway, and perhaps even better, is what you need to do. Yes. It's so good. Oh my gosh. That woman sounds like a superhero too. When she comes out of that room, right? right? That's like <laughs> yes. incredible. Oh my gosh. She could take on the world. I love that. The cape is rippling. Yes. <laughs> her, her cape. It's so good. So what, what, on a, on a positive note, give us yeah. a couple examples of some companies or corp corporations that are doing a good job with this. They've probably yeah, been listening so to you. They've heard you, Lauren, and they oh, are doing, wow. they're doing a good job. Well, I happen to be doing this work at a time when people are rightly, finally, you know, in an overdue correction of listening to women's voices in the workplace. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here at this time, but it's definitely not, not just me. Um, so companies that are doing it really well, uh, I will just call out immediately um, American Express, which has, you know, I always ask before I go and speak someplace to see, you know, and it's, I sometimes have to sign an NDA to see exactly what their benefits are. In their case, it was, it's, it's exactly what it should be. It is six months of paid leave for everyone. It is maintaining your bonus through that time. And it is like, you know, every version of on-ramping you can think of, um, of sort of, you know, full pay for, um, for part-time hours on the way back in for a certain amount of time. If you choose that path, it's up to you. So they just have great benefits. When I was talking about um, earlier the disparity between um, uh, so companies that, you know, get a lot of headlines. So one company that's gotten headlines that's really done the right thing 
actually two. So one is Amazon and the other is Starbucks. And they are, you know, they're the big behemoths and it's easy to, you know, it's easy to kind of roll your eyes at them in some ways, but they've really, really talked the talk and walked the walk in that they offer the same benefits to people in their executive suite or, or to people in their executive suite as they do in their fulfillment centers and behind the, you know, behind the um, cash register at the Starbucks. So hourly workers there are getting the same access, the same benefits as people who are in the corporate jobs. Um, Sweetgreen, actually, the salad company just uh, made huge headlines for rolling out five months of paid parental leave for all. And I actually, um, I couldn't decipher from their announcement. It sounded so, um, uh, it sounded so holistic, but it sounded like it was for everybody. But I've, I've like been down this road before, and I know that there are a lot of companies that get a lot of attention. And when then you look at who actually has access to this amazing new benefit, it's only like the top you know, 10% of the earners in the company. This is not the case of Sweetgreen. I actually got my salad the other day and I was like, I can't, I tried on Instagram. I couldn't get me to respond to me. Can you just tell me, like, do you know about this? And she said, oh yes, we know about it. And it's for, she like took, took her hand and swept it down the line at all the people who are making the salads and chopping them up. And she goes, and it's for all of us. Wow. And, okay. You know, Everyone you needs to tell. go get salads there. That's, right. That's I mean, good it's good for like, them. Let's support them. $17 salad. I will buy it. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> It's all good. Yeah. It's worth it if they're doing the right yeah. thing, right? Okay, well, yeah. Lauren, so let's lots get... Of good news. Yeah, that's very good. I love hearing all that. That was, that, was, that was really good. Tell us what's next for you. You're super busy. You're doing these talks now. You're also writing... You're doing a lot of columns for Harper's Bazaar and other publications. So you're super yeah. busy doing a lot. And then what's, so what's next for you? What are you thinking about for your next well, step? Really- I'm really growing. I'm growing the consulting side of my business. Um, I have a whole coaching arm that I do, which is not so scalable because it's really, it's, it's just me right now, you know, and I can only spend so many hours on the phone, you know, with coaching clients. But what I've found is that I will, I will say yes to projects that connect the dots to the other parts of my, you know, business plan in quotes. So I have like five things that I do, but each one feeds the other. So I'll give a speaking event and somebody will ask a question that will spark an idea for a pitch that I'll send to my editor at the New York Times. And so all of these things kind of, you know, ball up together in, you know, a bigger snowball that hopefully has a bigger impact. Um, So there's that. And I am thinking about what my next book could be. And I do take occasionally some um, longer term um, consulting, editorial consulting side gigs too. I just signed on to work with um, Glamour, my old employer, um, uh, doing the editorial direction of their Women of the Year Awards in the fall, which is obviously so, so in sync with the women's empowerment work that yes, I do. Yes. Um, but, you know, so it's, so it's, cool. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a one-person business. So I, I really like kind of patch it all together. And I'm definitely built to be much more of a person working in a corporation where I have a boss and I have a goal. But I don't think I'll ever go back. I think this is really... The, the work I was meant to do. And, and I love doing it. It is. I'm telling you, you were put on this earth for this, Lauren. It's so perfect for you. <laughs> Thank you. So tell Thank us, you. how can we find you on Instagram? Because you know, the gram is oh, my God. jam. So tell us, tell us about too. you on the Insta. Yeah. So I am, I'm at the fifth trimester all spelled out. Um, uh, T-H-E-F-I-F-T-H, however you spell trimester, all together. <laughs> Um, on, um, Twitter, I'm Lauren S Brody and on Facebook, I'm um, the fifth trimester as well. 
Okay. Well, everyone's going to go follow you now because all your advice is so good. And the best news, Lauren, is your book, The Fifth Trimester, the best-selling book, is also on Audible. So moms, we know you're busy. We know you're so busy and you probably are rolling your eyes when we tell you we want you to read Lauren's book. But now there's no (laughs) excuse because it's on Audible, right? Don't you love Audible, Lauren? I love it. And the woman who recorded the voiceover was actually in her own fifth trimester. She had just come back from having her first baby and this was her first gig after doing that. So I I love telling that. And then the other thing about the actual print book is that um, I very purposefully, even in my original proposal, I did this. I have a little, I call it the skim de la skim of if you're going back tomorrow, here are the things you can, you can look for in the book. You don't have to read it start to finish. I actually totally sweated over the index. I redid my entire index from the indexer who did it because I really wanted it to be accurate and searchable. If you have, you know, if you have postpartum depression and you are already back at work and you already use your FMLA, like turn to page. And I wish I could tell you off the top of my head, but it's in there. Um, so don't feel like it's the kind of thing you have to read all of. Just read what, what works for you and what you need in that moment. Oh, that's so helpful. Good. That was, that was really good that you did that. I love that. Okay. Well, everyone's going to find you on Instagram now at the fifth trimester. Yes. And thank you so much to our special guest, Lauren Smith Brody. Everyone needs to get on board with the fifth trimester and anyone who's listening that works in it, in a company, tell them you want Lauren Smith Brody to be your next uh, company speaker because she's so good and everyone needs to hear more from her. So Lauren, thank you so much. And truly, we can't wait to see what's next for your journey. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, it was so good, Lauren. Thank you. I'm so grateful for all of you. I know that I would never be here without all of you supporting me and inspiring me to be a kinder, better person every single day. Stay tuned for next week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast too. And now we're asking everyone to share it with a friend. If you know someone who would be interested in learning more and hearing more from Lauren Smith Brody about the fifth trimester, please share this episode with a friend. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community right here in the audio space. For now, I am your host, Nina Clark. Please follow me on Instagram because as Lauren and I just said, we love the gram. So let's find, let's find each other on the gram as well. Thank you again for listening and let's keep being awesome. Awesome.